interesting study recently that showed results where over 60% of Americans thought that maybe we were headed for a civil war and over 40% were firmly convinced that was right and over half of the population was in some way preparing, maybe stockpiling food or what have you. Now, what I found most interesting about that was one of the researchers quoted was surprised. (laughs) Surprised by what? That that number's not higher? But nonetheless, it is unsettling to say the least and somebody who can make sense out of all that and more would be a clinical forensic psychologist. And we happen to have one. And that would be Dr. John Huber of MainstreamMentalHealth.org. Welcome to WGN Radio. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, fascinated by this, as I say, more fascinated that this, uh, <laughs> that this survey alarmed anybody. I would call that a classic disconnect. What do you make of it? Well, I think you're right. I mean, what, what has gone on for the last you know, 15 or so years in dealing with you know, the media and everything else. I mean, we've gone from a print news media that was 24-hour cycle to a 15-minute cycle. And the best way to keep those people clicking through your websites is to stir up those emotions. And the easiest one is hate. So why not divide? I mean, it sells click space. It sells, sells ad space. And that's where the money is. That's where the media is going to be. And you can see that big time to the uh, to the radical both ends of that. Obviously, the people who are Absolutely. are seeking certain sites. I mean, that's as obvious as the moles on someone's face. But but and here's here's the big but <laughs> a, a lot. A lot of mainstream media, and I could argue that it's not even necessarily intent, because whenever someone reports on a situation, especially one that they've witnessed, they're going to have to process it through their worldview, because it's the only way to make sense of it. And so consequently, if your worldview is different from the guy down the street, you're going to have a different take on what occurred. You know, the facts are the facts, are facts, but they're also somewhat fluid in interpretation. So, <laughs> you know exactly what I mean. And so you're, you're having a lot lot of people who are in some way led by this, but increasingly people who are aware of this and are aware to the point that they're saying, I'm mad as hell and not going to take it anymore. And I think to a good degree, that's where we are. Oh, absolutely. And in, in talking about, about how we see things, you know, and, and we give excuses for certain people and other people we don't, what we found out in, in psychology a long time ago is that if you feel connected to somebody and you see them, whether you actually are there, you see a videotape, or somebody tells you that somebody did something heinous or wrong or just morally borderline unacceptable, you immediately, because you have a connection with that person, you you say, oh, well, that must be because of the situation. That was a, a reaction. He probably had no other way to do it. But if you don't have that connection, if you feel like they're on the other side, all of a sudden, it's like that's who that person is. It's a, it's state versus trait. That is a personal trait of that person, and they're just evil. So it doesn't matter, like you said, left or right. It doesn't matter which side you're on. You're going to see these perspectives, and it's going to taint what you see as the truth. And you know, being a forensic psychologist, I worked in a lot of divorce cases, and what I found out is that neither one of them is ever correct it's always somewhere in the middle the true story is really somewhere in the middle and that's kind of what we got here we got essentially with this civil war idea we've got a country that's divided the in-laws versus the outlaws and you know who's who and which is what and who's going to be right 
you know, that's what the future is going to tell us. Now, I'm fascinated by what you just said, because I always thought about forensic psychology as, you know, the situation with the terrorist or the mass murderer, not your soon-to-be ex-spouse. So exactly what kind of cases does a forensic psychologist come into a divorce suit? Well, you know, forensic psychology is basically the application of psychology to any kind of a legal situation. So you're all right. It can be to the terrorist or the hostage situation. But oftentimes I'm called into court to help judges get better information to make a decision, for example, in child custody situations with, with divorcing couples who have kids. Um, it, it's not always a clear cut and dry case. You know, he said, she said, he's got all of his friends agreeing with him. She's got all her friends agreeing with her. How do we find out what's really going on in there? And believe me, it's not an easy task. And I never make the decision. I always right. do investigation and give that information to the judge. You know, I, I look at parenting styles. I look at the children. Do they have any kind of, you know, situation, maybe a disability, maybe a learning disability, dyslexia, or a physical disability, medical situation. And then I take parenting styles and that information about the kids and go find base rate data that tells us that if you have this type of parenting style and your kid has ADHD, for example, the likelihood that your child's going to grow up with some significant situation like major depression or bipolar, just statistics. And then I play those scenarios out, and I typically give my judges about five different scenarios and give them what the research says is going to be the pseudo-outcome of, of these children. It doesn't mean it's going to be perfect, but it gives the judge some more data to try and make a better decision as far as parenting placement and things like that. You know, I also do competency to stand trial situations for criminal courts and, you know, not guilty by reason insanity. I worked on homicides, carjackings, things like that. Uh, it just uh, depends upon what uh, what's out there and, you know, does the, the attorney feel like there's something valuable I can give them? And sometimes it's as simple as just helping the, the client prepare to get up on the stand. Maybe they're a victim and the other side they're afraid is going to try and make that victim relive the, the, the trauma. So they need somebody to kind of help this person be prepared for that. How do I, how do they deal with that? And, uh, you know, there, there's lots of different facets that I can be utilized in. Now, that's really interesting to me. I assume then it's not the court, say, in a divorce action that's hiring you as much as one side, the, the plaintiff or the defendant uh, of, the, of the case where the lawyers say, you could come analyze this and bring something to this case. So, Well, what typically happens, you know, the, the, both sides have to agree to it. So what happens right. is one side wants it, they present it to the judge, and then the judge orders it. Okay. And then... I, I say, here's what it's going to cost you. I need my subpoena. And once I have that, I will schedule my appointment. And then, of course, they hold up on who's going to pay for what and when. And the thing is, there's actually laws that say I cannot, I have to be paid. I can't yes. wait to see what the outcome is. That way I'm yes. not biased. So so the judges typically sign side with me and say, no, give him his money and then he'll schedule. So Right. No, I, absolutely. I've served an expert witness in a number of cases and same thing where at first I said, you know, you're all yeah. friends. I'll do this for nothing. You can't. So, uh, yeah, I got, uh, got that. But so now without any names, obviously, but this is, uh, I know that I should be at the Civil War topic, but this is so much more interesting because it's just a soap <laughs> opera. So so you you got to tell me, what are the strangest divorce issues? You know, they're in court because they're fighting over this. Now, I 
obviously we know it's kids and, and all the things we'd expect. But what are some of the unexpected? Uh, what, I, what, what I think are crazy sometimes are, are pet issues. You know, we can understand kids. I mean, I love my kid, and I, I'm not going to give my kid up. Um, then, of course, you've got the sociopaths who, you know, male or female, I've seen it both ways, who don't really want the children. They just don't want the spouse to have them. And uh, they'll fight tooth and nail. And then, you know, uh, and then I get called back four or five years later because the kids are calling Child Protective Services. And I'm, oh. I'm the psychologist who has history with them, so they want me to go back and reevaluate and things oh, like that. God. And that's always messy. And, um, you know, it, it, wow. You know, I, 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 I don't really, don't really want to say what some of the stuff is at because this is radio. Well, I mean, right. Some of the stuff uh, is just, yeah. I mean, I've worked with some serial killers and things like that, and you know, you don't want to. No, 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 to, no, no. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no. I'm, not, I'm, I'm trying to I'm, get. I'm not trying to get you killed here. I'm just talking about the guy <laughs> who fought, who uh, fought over the designer toilet or something. You know, something that was. Oh yeah, yeah. Goldfish, gerbils. Yeah. Crazy things. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Well, uh, <laughs> with with goldfish and, ger- and gerbils, it's really simple. Just you know, take the case to last months. The issue will be dead. These things dead, <laughs> exactly. But yeah. they'll spend half a million dollars for those months that the animal is still alive. Right, and both sides will fight over it. Both Ger- gerbils. That that really starts to make you wonder if any of the stories about what some people are doing with gerbils. I'm not going there. All right. So we. <laughs> oh, that's just that's just really awful. We're uh, we're talking with Dr. John Huber. He's a clinical forensic psychologist. And oh yeah, we'll we'll get back to civil war. I'll have one before the show's over. I'm Raleigh James. It's WGN Radio. All right. So we're talking to Dr. John Huber. He's a clinical forensic psychologist. And you know we were talking about because uh, I am a soap opera queen. Uh, divorce mediation and the role of the clinical forensic psychologist in it. But as I'm saying that, I can see direct correlations to the bigger picture where people at this point, they're on their last nerve, they're mad as hell, they're not going to take it anymore, and that's where you start to see the articles with the headlines that 61% of Americans think that we're headed for civil war. And over half of them are preparing for it. We assume with preparedness, like food and, st- well, yeah, gun sales and bullets are up to what, well, we'll just leave that word is. And so uh, with all this in mind, uh, Dr. Huber, we have a situation that we knew was coming. Uh, I think some people are surprised with the speed at which it really has turned to be very obvious. But given what you know about human nature and everything we're seeing, what do you predict? Now I'm making you Miss Cleo uh, for, the, uh, for the rest of the year here. Well, Robin, Um, I I do much better sitting down with individuals and and doing assessment. uh, You know, that's what psychology is versus sociology as far as prediction. But I can tell you that that we get this group think going, and we we believe everybody thinks just like us. Now, think about your social media. That's where most people get their, their emotionally laden news today. And they blocked out the news sites and the bloggers and stuff who don't agree with them. Mm-hmm. So when they're listening on their iPod or their, their headphones, they're walking down the street, and they're crossing the corner with maybe another 75, 80, 100 people at that intersection, they think everybody around them is listening to the exact same thing they are and is thinking exactly the same thing they're thinking. Mm-hmm. So, so what happens is they escalate internally. 
because they want to be part of the the in crowd, you know. And when when it turns south and it goes against them, they can't believe it. You know, we we hear all this time uh, about the people in the Republican Party talking about how you know the the, the mom and pops who were so upset the Hillary lost, they still haven't gotten over it. And it's it's partially because they they weren't preparing themselves for the possibility that maybe, you know, it's a two-sided coin. Somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose, and there's always that chance either way. So without that belief set, they're still in disbelief in this point because they don't want to think that they were wrong. They're so invested in it. Now, you add the threat of violence, and we've seen a lot of violence, one way or the other, and, you know, we... We know that at times violence is appropriate. That's what happened with the, you know, when we stood up against Great Britain and we became our own sovereign nation. But now we're sitting here going, hmm, do we really, do we really think that we're, we're not going to be good as a, a unified country here anymore? And think about how much we're so interdependent. So, are we going to end up with, with the same thing that we had over slavery, the same type of civil war? And, you know, the reality of it is we have a, an extremely different country than we did back then. Forget, forget the fact, you know, that, that they did this while the slave, slavery was still acceptable in certain parts of this country. But now look at, we're not, we're not an independent individuals. I mean, you know, in the Great Depression, only about 4% of this country did not have a direct connection to somebody who farmed or had agriculture. Now it's under 2% that have a direct connection with agriculture. So when we start rioting or whatever we do, and we shut down transportation, and we shut down business because we're in this quote-unquote civil war, the grocery stores are going to be out of food in about 48 to 72 hours. And about two days after that, there's going to be a lot of people who said, no, i got to feed my kid. And it, it's a lot different than it was when we knew how to live off the land. So many people don't. And it, it's, it's uh, the hard fact of reality. We can talk a big talk, and we, we know it sells, sells newspapers and, and airtime. But uh, when, when push comes to shove, it, it's, it's not nearly as likely as people want to believe it is. And that's just because, I hate to say it, as, as a country, we're soft now compared to what we were when we had our, our Civil War. Oh, of course. No, all, all very valid. And, and you're right, uh, especially in terms of agriculture. And it would be about 72 hours. So, uh, and that, yeah. may, that may be giving it some. So absolutely, that's a figure. As well as what's changed since the Civil War, when United States was a plural noun, when there was no real strong federal government in terms of how it's affecting your life. So there's a lot of facets about this. And oh, yeah, we'll talk about Facebook, one of my favorite things as far as social media is, where it emboldens people. Because after all, everybody thinks just like they do not 
I'm Raleigh James. It's WGN Radio. I'm talking to Dr. John Huber. He's a clinical forensic psychologist about uh, the recently released news that 61% of Americans say we're on the verge of civil war. And I have to give a nod of thanks and debt of gratitude to the Proud Boys for timing, and only for timing. John, who is screening your calls at 888-876-5593, ran in with his cell phone to show me Proud Boys supporter, warns civil war if trump wins so yes we're seeing it thrown around uh, even in the nick of time when i need to see that and uh, i agree with you wholeheartedly that it's nice to say that until there's uh, till there's no food but i've uh, i've done something and i mentioned this on the air before dr huber i created a couple profiles for facebook years ago one was a very very liberal female and uh, she was a teacher the, the other of course was a very very conservative male just as and i joined a couple groups and, and of course the friends started pouring in as you'd expect and it was exactly as you talk it it emboldened me to such a degree that it was almost frightening and that's where in the back of my mind in sociology i remembered about the group mind Mind being less intelligent and more emotional, and I'm thinking, boy, howdy! Absolutely, yeah, yeah, we're in trouble now. So, yeah, the uh, you know, the, it's no laughing matter. Things like the Proud Boys, but sure enough, on cue, uh, th- there's going to be a, a civil war. Now, of course, some of these things are very obvious, and I get that. But some of them, it's an interesting undercurrent of people who are just, uh, and not, not necessarily the people who are just going by the headlines, who are just fed up with what they see as an event can happen by one side of the aisle and there's a total pass the other side of the aisle and there's a prosecution and it doesn't only extend to politics but that i'm mad as hell and not going to take it anymore is sort of coming from a place where their worldview has morphed into life isn't fair now of course i'll say well who said who said it was supposed to be fair but of course you know then they hit you but uh other than other than that i can i really can understand how people are on their last nerve when they are perceiving for whatever reason that it is dramatically unfair what do you do about it? absolutely it and you know fairness what is fairness uh i didn't get to pick my parents and you know, I have several wealthy clients who didn't get to pick their parents, and it's not their fault either way. You know, and you know. So, I also have some of these wealthy wealthy clients who part of their problem why they're seeing me is because they don't have to get up out of out of bed in the morning, and and they have serious uh, life meaning challenges. You know, what is my life for? Why am I here? Kind of thing. And then I see people who don't have any money who have the same thing. At the same time, I also have wealthy clients who come in because they want that checkup. You know, you go see a dentist twice a year just to clean your teeth. They want that checkup just to make sure that, that you know, hey, am I, am I really, you know, moving forward? Is this something that's positive? And they come in once a year and... Honestly, a lot of them actually use me as a resource then because when their friends start having problems, hey, why don't you go meet with Dr. John or he's a friend of mine, I know him, you know, and they don't have to, you know, they don't have to go search for a psychologist to have somebody to, to take somebody to. And so I get a lot of referrals from them. So I don't mind them coming in once a year. And it's, it's also amazing to watch these people who were born into wealth who get up every morning and they try to find a way to, make this country stronger and build businesses and bring jobs in there. 
just like it is when I see these young people who are brought into this world with nothing at all, some of them in the worst circumstances you can imagine, and they stand on their own two feet, and they get an education, they go out and they start businesses, and next thing you know, you know, they, they have multi-million dollar industry, you know, industries, and they're kind of fly, a pilot that flies them around, they got a huge family now, and, you know, what's the difference between those, those two people? And it, it, you know, it's that nature or nurture argument, but either way, they're influenced by their environment, whether it's purely nurturance or it's purely genetics. We know it's not purely either one, but it's amazing to watch how when we went from a 24-hour news cycle to that 15-minute news cycle, how our country changed so dramatically so quickly because, you know, it, they just got continually reinforced for their thinking. Like you just said, you know, yeah. we get that bipolar thinking. It, you either with me or against me. Then you filtered everything that's against you, so you think everybody's with you, and it's overwhelming either way, whether it's a positive, uplifting experience for you or whether it keeps you trapped in a hole. And how do we break that as a society? I think, I think that's really what we're looking at here. We, you know, everybody's claiming civil war this, civil war that. When push comes to shove, again, we talked about it. We're a soft nation. We're not, you know, the greatest generation that went off at 18, 17 years old in Normandy. We're not, you know, the Great Depression era that, that knows how to survive off the land, what plants we can eat when we're walking across a forest. You know, we don't have that mentality anymore. And, you know, we're pretty fragile and we're pretty soft. You know, how many people, you know, I, I take my kids, I taught them how to fish and hunt and camp and all this kind of stuff. My daughter, she's, she's looking forward to deer season this year because, you know, she's all excited for whatever reason. She loves getting out there with dad. And most of the time we sit and take really amazing pictures, but we have a good time. We go out and, you know, neither one of us have big old thick calluses on our hands. And, you know, yeah, we hike a couple miles back into the back country, but it's it's nothing compared to, you know, the stories. That my grandfather, my great-grandfather, listen to them when they would go for days and they hadn't eaten anything but maybe some bread and water until they got a deer or squirrels and some rabbits, whatever. You know, we don't we don't have that experience. You know, my daughter still likes to go to the grocery store twice a day. You know, it's like, oh, I need some, I need something to snack on, and boy, she's gone and back. That's not reality, you know, for World War II people. That's not reality for the Civil War that we've already experienced. That's not reality for the for the, the Great Depression. And right now, you know, we talk a big talk. All these young people talk a big talk. But you know, I taught college for twenty one years, and I watched how the students became more and more dependent on the professors mm -hmm. feeding them more and more stuff. And and I couldn't just say, okay, go to the library and do this article. I had to tell them, uh, by the time I finally said this is enough, I was having to tell them, okay, you need to go in this section of the library oh, and look God. up these articles, or it wasn't going to get done. That That's beyond frightening. And, of course, you know, I complain that uh, in my day, in the Stone Age, they, they taught us uh, uh, how to think. Now they teach you what to think. But you're actually answering the, the question as to why, because in some cases, uh, spoon-feeding the kids is the most you're going to get out of them. And that's, uh, that, that's, that's truly frightening, uh, especially when you realize they vote. But 
when you were talking about <laughs> the, the the people who have uh, have succeeded in spite of all odds, it's a choice, and instinctively they're playing their strengths, and they're saying, I'm yeah. going to succeed by that. And the people who are mired in muck are also making a choice. They're making a choice that they're going to be a victim. And there there's payoffs in both roles, but it absolutely is absolutely. a choice. But I, un, unfortunately, a lot of the victimhood is... I don't want to say being coddled because it makes it you know, more negative than I mean it to be, but it's almost being supported. Right. And uh, we are where we are now. Of course, uh, politicians love crises. They, they, it was Rahm Emanuel who said, don't let a good crisis go to waste. So, you know, right. that, that was as honest as it gets. And of course, you know, the fastest interval of speed is not the speed of life. It was the time between announcement that we had a pandemic and politicians jumping on it for their own cause. And... Uh, Oh, you're so true. Yeah, absolutely. And you knew that was going to happen. So what we've got here is we don't have a leader who wants to, in fact, cause people to, in fact, take a step back. Uh, In fact, the campaign rhetoric has gotten, and it's not just the current campaign by any means. We've seen it. I know when they had the the hearings for uh, for Kavanaugh, I thought to myself, no one is ever going to run for office again except for complete and other sociopaths, because who put their family through this? And unfortunately, you know, I mean, really, who would do that? You, you have to have some kind of ulterior motive that's not normal, somebody who belongs on your couch. And so with that in mind, we're, we're kind of getting exactly what we uh, what we expect. You know, on computers, we always say gigo, garbage in, garbage out. But that's really what, what we're doing here. And so. Actually, you know, in this conversation, I wasn't expecting to be uplifted, but the idea was, okay, let them have their civil wars. In 72 hours, they're going to slink off. Uh, My fear, though, is in the process, they're going to make election decisions and going to force for uh, for conclusions that absolutely will hurt liberty. And we're seeing that incrementally. But there's people now who are just going for a paradigm shift. And, you know, I tell you, if I'm afraid of anything, I'm not afraid of them. I'm afraid of what they're ideology could bring if they're pandered to well absolutely and and that's where that's where those people who are crying civil war that's that's what they're looking for that's their power that's their power game and their control and they want to cause that kind of reaction and it's it's got to take somebody who stops that emotional reaction and starts thinking rationally and it can't be just one unfortunately it's going to have to be across the board how do we get our politicians to do that and you know my peers and i we've discussed this and we've argued points and there's something to be said for term limits because you know if you're not planning on being in office for the rest of your life you have to go back out and make a living in that atmosphere and you're less likely to do things that are going to hurt everyday people because you're going to be one again yeah no that's and that maybe other the best than that argument. i don't know what else we can do i mean you know how do we get our politicians to start thinking rationally instead of everything they're doing is geared up for their re-election well, sure it is, and especially in the House where you're running every two years, so you're basically never Absolutely. not running. And so, uh, you know, you sound so normal. How do you survive in the People's Republic of Austin? I mean, <laughs> 
I just, I mean, you're you're alive in Travis County. I don't, I don't get this because we always just say the nicest thing about Austin is how close it is to Texas. God knows it's not in it. Well, <laughs> right. Well, you know, actually, I'm 600 yards outside of Travis County. I'm in Williamson. Oh, County, so I okay. Think that's what... All right. Well, <laughs> well, but even so, you know, Round Rock. I'm not sure. So I, I know things have, things have yeah. changed a lot. But you know, the the, the interesting thing is is doing what I do, I travel, I go to different places in Texas, different places, you know, some, some of my favorite places are Chicago and New York, you know, and, and the reality of it is I hit the ground out there. I mean, I was in New York in August during all this stuff and I'm walking around the streets and for the first time I can remember strangers are going, Hey, how you doing? <laughs> like I'm in, like I'm in Texas and right. I'm like, wow, cause there's hardly anybody on the streets and they're like glad to see other human beings. Yeah. It was really, um, it actually felt really good. You know, people sure. were, cause you could tell they were excited about everybody. And I think what's happening is when, when we start easing off this, you know, we've seen what five states have dropped all their restrictions. Florida is one of them. Right. And yet we haven't seen in the news that, all of a sudden we have just mass graves because so many people are dying. It really hasn't changed anything. And, you know, going to the hospitals that I work at with the epidemiologists and everything, you know, I have really mixed feelings about, about these social restrictions. The whole idea originally was to give the hospitals uh, a chance to get caught up. They were supposed to slow down the transmission. Nobody ever said it was going to stop the transmission, the distancing, or the right. masks. Right, exactly. So, you know, I think what we're going to see is when these these restrictions start getting lifted off, people are going to just be happy to be living a life because there's a big difference between living and having, you know, just being alive. Yeah, existing. And I like to live. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We can exist, but we'd prefer to live. You betcha. We're talking to Dr. John Huber, a clinical forensic psychologist, MainstreamMentalHealth.org. In the waning moments, if you want to get in in the discussion, this is the time to do it. 888-876-5593. It's 8888-R-O-L-L-Y-E on WGN Radio. I'm talking to Dr. John Huber. He's a clinical forensic psychologist. I promise we'd take your calls, and here I am uh, hogging the time playing Laverne Baker. So, Dr. Anna in Oak Lawn, welcome to WGN Radio. Well, I, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for sharing joy, laughter, the sense of, of uh, irony. Uh, there's so many serious people going around nowadays, and you're, you're sharing the fact that the emperor has no clothes. <laughs> uh, it, taking a step back and, and looking at this life is sometimes... All you can do is laugh, and that's that's important. It it brings a sense of balance to everybody, and yeah. I want to say thank you. Oh, you're entirely welcome, and let's face it, it beats thank all you. the alternatives. So, <laughs> all right, Donna, yes, th- thanks for calling. All right, so thank you, thank you. We will reconvene.